Bibles to Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. If you're looking for a sermon that's going to cause you to feel all warm and fuzzy inside, you should have listened to this morning's message. Tonight's message will not be that way. If you didn't get an out, anyone need an outline tonight? You didn't get one. Um, are you getting some back there? Do you mind? Could you might get in a few? There's a few people that didn't get them, and so. Annette, you're just getting pretty good at this thing of ushering. We're just going to have to just put you a full time doing it. So that'll just be your job back there. As long as your husband doesn't wear his charger hat, then we'll be in good shape. So I didn't wear my charger socks. That could have been it. But they lost last week with them too. Romans chapter number one. And we started our series here. And we've got a long ways to go, especially on nights that we only do one verse, and tonight's one verse. And so if you've got your Bibles there, Romans chapter number one, we're going to go to verse number 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. As we continue on in our series here going through the book of Romans, we see right away, we see Paul talks about the gospel, talks about his credentials, talks about the gospel. Last week we saw he wasn't ashamed of the gospel and how he's going to preach the gospel to them. And when you start preaching the gospel, you've got to start out and talk about God's wrath. People don't like talking about the wrath of God, but the wrath of God is real. It's a biblical fact. And some people don't understand it or like it, but it's important. And don't ever lose sight of that. We dive into this tonight. There's several things I want you to see. But Paul, right in this passage here, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is going to write about the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God against sin that forms kind of a hub around the end of chapter number 1 and carries on through chapter 3 and verse number 20. But we'll get there soon. But before we get through all of that, one of the things that's important is for us as we look at these things, not so much, tonight we're not going to look at why is God angry? Why does God have wrath? We're just going to understand his wrath a little better tonight. When we get into verse 19 and go further into chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, we'll see why God has wrath. But tonight, I just want to talk about his wrath for a little bit. Now, that, that sounds like a great message, doesn't it, right there? You know, if I said we're going to talk about, the, you got this, hey, this morning, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. You got your nice Christmassy message this morning, and tonight, we get to talk about the wrath of God. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in tonight. Father, we just love you, and we thank you for being our God, and we thank you for being in control of everything. Pray just bless our time here tonight, bless the kids in their class as well, and I pray all that's said and done would bring you honor and bring you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man has tried their best to reduce God to some old grandfather type guy that just winks at sin up in heaven and does nothing about it, but that's not our God. In reality, God is, we've studied it, and we know that God is love, right? However, one aspect of his love is in his wrath and his hatred of sin. God is a perfect being, completely perfect. He's holy. God is perfect in his love. God is also perfect in his wrath. He's perfect in his holiness. 
He's perfect in his judgment. He's perfect. Many people get bothered by thinking about the fact that there's a God who reacts in judgment and wrath. But I'm thankful that I have a God who does react with judgment and wrath. It's needed. Even though you might not understand it or see it, it's needed, and we'll maybe talk more about that here. Paul's purpose in this verse tonight, as we look tonight, as we go further, and as we go into cha- even up to chapter number 3 and verse number 20, Paul's purpose here is to describe for us the charges against man. Why, what did man do? What, why the gospel, right? He said, I'm ready to preach you the gospel. He starts out, this is what man's done. You'll see in chapter 2, he talks about this, what the Gentiles have done. In chapter number 3, you'll see this is what the Jews have done. And you see, he ties all those things together. And so Paul's going to tell us why we need the gospel, because of the wrath of God. And it's so important. And as we dive in tonight, we find a definition and description of God's wrath. And understanding it's very important, I want to help you with that tonight. Number one, we see the fact of God's wrath. Under point number one tonight, I'm basically going to define for you what is the wrath of God. The fact of God's wrath, number or letter A, underneath that, we think of the character of his wrath. The character of his wrath. The Bible says here, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words used for wrath. One is the word um, thumas, and that's where we get our word for um, thermos, things like that. Um, it refers to a sudden explosion of anger. There's another word. I'm trying to see. Yeah, there it is in my notes. I was trying to find it. O-R-G-E, orge. It means red-faced. That's what it's talking about right here. Have you ever seen someone get upset and their face turns red? Any of you, does your face turn red when you get upset? Or Madison, does your face turn a little red when you're laughing or embarrassed back there about something? So He's snoring back there. I've been told many a times, and Cruz and Allison are downstairs, but I put their son to sleep very well too. I encourage all parents, just go online to our website or whatever, pull up a sermon when it's time for your kids to go to bed, and start playing it. It works great with kids. We haven't tried that. We need to try that with Matthew. Maybe that'll work with Matthew. We'll try that. You're going to have to listen to dad preach till you go to sleep, but it works great. Hey, in your classroom, you know, if Emmett's all wired and, and going, just I'll come preach to him. That will settle him down. He's, is he snoring back there? And so, Emmett, Emmett, Emmett. And so, he loves my preaching so much he sleeps through it. But it makes it so that mom can focus more on the sermon, right? Except for the... So I'm just teasing. I saw you. I saw your face get a little red back there. So I'm like, I'm talking about being red-faced. I could just go right there. But normally, if someone gets red-faced, maybe there's some they're embarrassed a little bit, or the case may be. But a lot of times, it's talking about, or it's when someone has anger and they're letting it build up inside. That's what the, it's talking about here: the wrath of God. It implies that there will come a time when an explosion is going to happen, and that anger is going to be released. And uh, to get an idea of what I'm saying, try to imagine a new dam being built, constructed. And behind that dam, the water 
rocks are being backed up, and there's great pressure behind that dam. Then one day, the dam bursts, and the water just flows through. That's what we're thinking about when we talk about the wrath of God here, the character of his wrath. It's a pretty good description of it. Some examples of it. We have the flood. God's wrath was on display in the flood. Genesis chapter 6 through chapter number 8, God's wrath built up and was restrained until the day that he said, enough's enough, I'm going to flood the earth, and I'm done with it. That's one day where God's wrath was unveiled. God's wrath was shown on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God had had enough. There were not even 10 righteous people in that city. Their sin cried out to God. And we could talk so much about their sin, and so many people say so many different things. What was their sin? You know, sodomy and different things. Yes, that was all there and all those things, but you really read in the Scriptures, pride was a big problem in the city. And God destroyed those cities. God said, I've had enough, and he finally let loose. Another example would be at the Red Sea. God was done with Pharaoh. Pharaoh still didn't learn. God, to the Egyptians there, the ten plagues take place, and still Pharaoh loses his firstborn, and it still wasn't enough. God's people are finally let go, and then they come to destroy them still, and God says, all right, I'll just wipe them out. God's wrath on display. The good news is for those in Jesus that when Jesus hung on the cross, as the song in Christ alone says, the wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus bore the wrath of God for sin that day on the cross. And if you're you're there in Romans, go to Romans chapter number 5. Just look a few pages over from there. Look at verse number 9. It says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Pretty powerful right there. The wrath of God, when we think about it, God's wrath is displayed. Some of the characteristics of it. Does God ever have sudden outbursts of his wrath? Yes, he does. Say, well, when? Look at those who rebelled against him. Remember in the wilderness the children of Israel did? And he sent fiery serpents to get them? He acted suddenly. His wrath did. Um, When Miriam talked against Moses, that leprosy came pretty quick, didn't it? And so God's wrath, there are sudden outbursts with it. And, when the, and what you got to understand is God typically deals with sinners, and he, he works, and praise God that he does, but his wrath builds. Why do you think when we get to the tribulation time, it's just building? His wrath is. We don't like to think about that, which leads me to point the letter B. We think about the caliber of his wrath. Now, if you notice it is the wrath of God, you and I get angry, and we have wrath too. The only problem is when we get angry, our anger, our wrath is tainted by sin. God's wrath is not tainted by sin. Ours is, though. And so we respond after our flesh. Or someone wrongs us and we're going to lash out at them. That's not right. 
That's not how God's wrath works, because God's perfect. There's a difference in the two. And a lot of times our wrath is based on selfishness or foolishness on our parts. On the other hand, God's wrath is always fair, just, and balanced all at the same time. You can be sure that when the wrath of God falls on a life, it was deserved and was executed perfectly the way God wanted it to be. So I don't think it was fair of God to do what he did to Pharaoh. It's not up to you to say what's fair of God. God could have blown Pharaoh off the face of the planet day one. God gave Pharaoh chance after chance after chance after chance. And Pharaoh didn't want it. God gives mankind chance after chance after chance. But eventually, you refuse the Son, you're going to have the wrath of God abide on you forever. That's the Bible. And so, we think about the caliber of His wrath, which leads to the letter C. We think about the consistency of His wrath. The Bible says here that the wrath of God is revealed. You see that there? That is, the wrath of God is constantly in view. We can see it around us at all times, but are often unaware of what it is. It's true, sometimes we see the wicked prospering and we think, why Why are they getting away and living such a wonderful life with what they're doing? Shouldn't their lives be filled with pain and suffering? They're living wickedly. I'm trying to live and do what's right. Have you ever said that or ever thought that? No, you're all perfect Christians, right? We would never think anything like that. But as we think about it and as we talk about it, when we look into the Word of God, it becomes clear that God in His long-suffering gives people chances and chances. Aren't you thankful He's given you a chance? I'm thankful He's given me a chance. And that should be for each of us in our lives, and we should never lose sight of that. And that's kind of when you think of Asaph and his psalm in Psalm 73, he was struggling with those things. He was struggling. Go to Psalm 73 for a minute. Hold your place here. But go to Psalm 73. I don't think I have any of those verses on the screen. But Psalm 73, you say, why aren't the verses up on the screen? Because this was an afterthought after I'd already given Jay the notes for the sermon. But in Psalm 73, let's just read some of the chapter. We won't, we won't read all, but we might read a little bit of it. And uh, Joe was telling me today, we spent a little time together coming here to church tonight. He's like, you know, Pastor, it's kind of funny. First service, you're kind of bound by time. And you, like you said this morning, um, I didn't read all those verses at the end of the message. He's like, but second service, you're like, you just read all the verses. And so second service goes a little bit longer. Tonight I got to fill in time. We still got a half hour to go. So... Psalm 73, verse number 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, that they, more, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return thither, 
and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. And they say, how doth God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly. These are the ones who prosper in the world, and they increase in riches. And Asaph's like, I don't get it. Why should they be, why does this, why, why is it good for them? Why does it look like everything's great in their life, and why am I struggling? Yeah, God's good to Israel and those who have a clean heart, except he forgot about me. That's what Asaph's saying. He says, I look at the wicked man down the street, and he's doing just fine. I'm trying to live for God, and he's the one suffering. And I'm the one suffering, not him. We keep on reading, verily I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I just can't deal with it. I just can't take the fact of this. But I love the next verse. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Do you see how important the church is in your life? It's important. Church is essential. Don't ever lose sight of that. Your church is important. God designed the church, and God wants you a part of your church. And though, and I get some of you right now, you're watching online tonight and things, I get that you still, and some of you with health issues and things, I get you still can't be here with things. But you got to understand, church is important. You need church. You need a church family. We can't, you cannot provoke yourself to do good work sitting at home by yourself. You're not going to be encouraging yourself to do good works. We're to provoke one another, and we do that as a body together. That's how God designed it to be. But Asaph said here, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Look what he says in verse number 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? As, I, as a dream, when one awaketh, so, o Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And he really saw the true view. It might seem like someone's getting away with something, but you don't get away with things always in, your, in life. And we see that here. When Asaph considered and focused on the Lord, he began to understand that just because someone might look like, or the wicked might look like they're getting away with it today, you do reap what you sow. That's a Bible promise. And we see this, the consistency. God's wrath, it's consistent. You might say, then God's wrath should be upon that. Don't ever say that. Be thankful that God is giving another chance. Because someday in this world, chances are going to run out. There will be no more chance. And thank God, we think, we think about the consistency of His wrath, which leads us to letter D, the course of His wrath. The Bible tells us in our text here in Romans chapter number 1, and when you talk about the wrath of God, you don't get too many amens or too many smiles on people's faces. This morning, a lot of people are happy, and it's a great message. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Everyone was like, yeah, that's good stuff. We talk about the wrath of God, and everyone's just like, it's like watching the Chargers losing 45 to 0, something like that. And um, well, the course of this wrath, we're reminded, look at verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed where? From heaven. That's where it originates. Mankind may think 
that he's obtained some control and dominion in this world. But man would do well to remember that God has the final say in all that takes place. Wrath will come against all sin. Whether it's cause and effect, wrath of reaping and sowing, whatever the case may be, God's wrath will come. What do you think of when those, in the book of Revelation, when all of those vials are opened up? God's wrath is poured out on this world. You talk about global warming. This world's seen nothing yet. Wait till God unleashes his fury. And so we see, number one tonight, we see the fact of God's wrath. Number two, we see the focus of God's wrath. The focus of God's wrath. Who is God's wrath focused against? Very important as we look at this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So who is God's wrath focused against? Letter A, it's focused unerringly. Say, well, who? Look at what the Bible tells us. Against ungodliness and against unrighteousness. So number one underneath that, we see the two areas that compass all of this would be first ungodliness. This refers to man's relationship with God. This word encompasses the idea of uh, ungodliness, but its primary focus is the result of ungodliness in the life of an unbeliever. It's basically, and as we look at this, because man's relationship is wrong with God, God, man's relationship cannot be right anyplace else. So this is talking about the ungodliness of a life without Christ. Now, we could talk later on about being a Christian and doing ungodly deeds. But as a Christian and being a saved child of God, we shouldn't do ungodly deeds. We will do ungodly deeds. But God's wrath is not against a believer. His wrath is against those that are not saved. And that's what this ungodliness is talking about. Don't lose sight of that. Um, you also think about... Um, Against unrighteousness would be the next one. Unrighteousness. And I totally just messed my notes up what I just said there. Let's, re, let's go back and I'm going to redo number one under um, against ungodliness. I, uh, I, when I was talking about ungodliness, I was talking about unrighteousness. So let me go back and go back. Sometimes that happens to me. You guys ever mess up on anything you ever do? Yeah, Lori says she doesn't. She her, no, no, I'm going to be good. I was going to say something right there. We'll leave that alone right there. We all mess up every once in a while. So let's go back to ungodliness for a minute. So um, as I mentioned, it refers to man's relationship to the Lord because what are we? We're the enemies of God before salvation, correct? That's what the Bible tells us. And they are the focus of his anger, and that's why we're called the children of wrath, even as others. That was what the Bible tells us. And the reason why is that the absence of a genuine relationship with God, there is no godliness there. And that's where God's wrath comes against those things. We all, and 
that's why if you're not saved and don't know the Lord and you try to do your good works, you have your baptism, you have all these different things, it's still ungodliness because you don't know the Lord. His wrath is against the ungodliness and then number two, against unrighteousness. And this word, as I mentioned, it it compasses the idea of ungodliness, but it's more focuses on the life of the ungodly, the deeds that they do. That's where the difference is. So the ungodliness we talked about a minute ago, but unrighteousness are the deeds that the ungodly do. And so that's where I was mixing those two up there just a few minutes ago. I say, Pastor, do you study for your message? Yeah, I study too much, but then sometimes my brain gets a little messed up, and then when you get it messed up, you got to get back to where it needs to be. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get old. I don't know what will happen then. So, And uh, you're a rough crowd tonight. Or maybe it's just because we're talking about the wrath of God. Maybe that's it. Maybe we should save this for another night. You're like, it's Christmas time. Jesus came to pay God's wrath for us. And when we think about against unrighteousness, it basically refers to man's relationship with fellow man. You go from ungodliness, that's because man's relationship with God is wrong. But unrighteousness is man's interaction with fellow man. And you think about if man's relationship with God isn't right, man's relationship with man will never be right. That's why we hear a lot of Christians say, well, we need to love our neighbors. No, no, no. You need to love God with everything you have so you can love your neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor if you don't love God and put him in his proper place. And it's important, and you, gotta, and you can't lose sight of that. And, and you've got to think about we treat others the way we do because we treat God the way we do. We treated, if we treated, think about this one, if we treated God right, we would treat other people right. Very true. That's why we talk about arguing and fighting going on amongst God's people. What did Paul say? We mentioned on Wednesday night, you're carnal. Why are you carnal? Because your relationship can't be right with God because you're not going to be right with your fellow brothers and sisters the way it works. And so God's wrath is against ungodliness, against unrighteousness. And did you realize that every problem man has with man has a root in man's relationship with God? Don't ever lose sight of that. If you're, and you're never going to always be, and you know, we hear that phrase, are you right with God? That's such a loaded question. Has anyone ever asked, are you right with God? Well, sure I am. I, I am. Then you got pride. Am I still? One of the things you got to remember, you're standing, you're always right with God and you're standing before him. Your standing does not change. You can be, there's sin in your life and things, your standing is secure. That's is settled. Don't ever lose sight of that. But our relationship and things can be hampered. Standing is settled. You'll always be his child. But we backslide. We have issues. We all have issues, a lot of issues sometimes. You see, when we love God, we'll love people too. And you know that's true. We're not fulfilling the great commandment if we can't get along. Because the great commandment is to love God. When we love God, we'll love each other. Just some other little thoughts about that. His focus was unerringly, and then letter B, focused utterly. 
His utter focus is on sin. God hates sin. It's the only thing, you think about this, it's the only thing he hates. You know, the Bible talks about these six things, doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. It's all sin. God hates sin. Sin ruined everything. So why did God allow sin to be there to begin with? God gave man a choice. Bible tells us, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, you see that word, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. God hates sin. And since God hates it, and since God is the opposite of sin, he can't let sin go unpunished. He's a good God. He's a loving God. But at the same time, he's a just God. He can't just wink and say, you know what? It's okay. He wouldn't be just if he did that. That's not how our God works. We, when we talk about the focus, who's his focus, his wrath focused on? The ungodly and unrighteousness. And then we see number three as we talk about God's wrath. And don't worry, next week we have the Christmas party, so we won't be talking about God's wrath. But the week after that, we're going to see why God's wrath. And look at how mankind has rejected him. And that's what we look at as we finish here. The third point is this. The foundation of God's wrath is why is God angry? What's the basis of it? The basis of it is the end of verse number 18. The Bible says there, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So letter A, we think of this, man or men have rebelled against God's truth. The Bible says man has held the truth in unrighteousness. It means the people know the truth, but they like their sin more than they like God's truth. Think of it that way. You read in verse number 19, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. In all honesty, why the wrath of God? Because men love darkness rather than light. That's why. You think about, the Bible tells us in Psalm 14:1 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. If you notice, if you had your Bible open, the word there is in italics because that was added to help it make sense. But what the verse is teaching us here is the fool is the person who says no to God. That's what the fool is. And, you know, there is no God. Yes, the one who says there is no God. But in all honesty... The there was added to help it make sense. The ones who say no to God, they're the fools. You say, I could live for him, I could give my life to him, or I could live the life that I'm living. A lot of people have picked the other life. And you're a fool to do that. That's what the Bible teaches us. He wants, man wants his way over God's way and is living in open rebellion 
And that's why God's angry. God's given man a choice. And then letter B, men have rejected God's truth. Now, that might sound very similar to what I just said, but there's a difference in what I said. I said a minute ago that men have rebelled against God's truth. But I say that men have rejected God's truth. Not only do they rebel against the truth of God, but they also reject the truth of God. You'll see that as we go further into this study, as we get into in a couple of weeks where we see the deeds of man and how, how God's given them a chance, and, God, and at the end of the day, he'll give them over to that reprobate mind because they reject the truth. We think about when it comes time for the tribulation. The Bible talks about in 2 Thessalonians, in the book there, it talks about how, you know, you watch your Left Behind movies, and they just sound so wonderful. And so many people, oh, they just didn't realize. My wife was telling, you know, the pilot, Mr. Steele, whatever his name is. My wife told me about it, but I just didn't get I heard the truth, and I just didn't get it. But I'm going to get saved now. You know what the Bible says will happen in those days? If you've been given the truth, and you reject the truth of salvation, the Bible says you're going to be given over to strong delusion. You're going to believe a lie. You're not going to believe the truth. That's why those movies, they might be fun to watch and different things, but they're detrimental. Because I think some people get this idea that they can know the truth, reject the truth, and then someday they can receive that truth still. It's not what the Bible says. And in that day, let me just tell you, pure, plain, and simple, don't reject the truth of God. Receive it now. I hear people often, I met someone just a while back the day we did the turkey giveaway. This person's like, I'm just not ready to get saved now. I said, if you're not ready now, when are you going to be? You got, when are you going to do it? I'll do it later. When's that going to happen? Men have rejected God's truth. That's why the wrath of God. Millions of people tonight in this world are under the wrath of God. And it's obvious that this is true by the way that people live and the things that they do. Our duty as God's children is to give those under God's wrath the gospel. Because before we received the gospel, we were children of wrath as well. We were under the wrath of God. How many of you tonight are glad you're not under the wrath of God anymore? Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful, but there's a whole world out here that's still under his wrath. And you've got the truth. At the end of the day, I can't make anyone receive it. I wish I could. Can't. But men have rejected the truth, and they've rejected against the truth of his. They've rebelled against his truth. And because of that, God's wrath. God is right in what he does. His wrath is perfectly justified. And in fact, even in his wrath, he's still, the fact that he is long-suffering, the Bible talks about, you know the reason why he hasn't come back yet? Because he's long-suffering. If you go with me, we're going to look at one last passage and we'll be done. We'll go to First um, Peter chapter 5, I think it is. And that might be wrong. If it's wrong, I'll tell you to turn to a different one. 
and that's not it. Second Peter chapter 3. I know it was one of those two. I know it was the last chapter of one of the Peters. So, so look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, which I stirred up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Since your fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly and ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heaven and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now look at the next verse. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You see, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He is coming. But do you know why He hasn't come yet? Because He's waiting for what, that what next person to still get saved. You see, God's wrath will come, but thank God for His grace. Thank God that He waited for me to get saved. But you see it all around us. You keep pushing God the world's been doing it for a very long time. Mankind in the day of Adam and Eve go to Noah, pushed God. And God finally said, the flood's coming. Sodom and Gomorrah kept pushing against God. Tower of Babel. They're going to make themselves as God. You know what? I'm going to change your language. God will only wait so long. He's coming. Let's do our best till he comes to get the truth of God's word and to tell others so that they don't have to have the wrath of God on them. You know, we hear people say all the time that um, we're all children of God. That's not true. Till you get saved, you're a child of wrath. That's Bible. But God would love to be their heavenly father. He'd love for them to be his children. But we got to share that truth with them. And then it's up to them if they reject the truth or if they rebel against it. But we at least got to get the truth out there. What Paul is telling the church in Rome here is, I'm going to share with you, I'm ready to preach to you the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what we looked at last week. He says, before I explain the gospel to you, we got to talk about the wrath of God. Then I'm going to show you why, what mankind has done. Then I'm going to show you how the Jews and Gentiles have sinned. 
and why there's a penalty for sin. And then Paul goes deeper into the gospel. That's what we see so far in this book. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for the book of Romans. And I 